Funding for this podcast comes from the members of Massachusetts Public Radio and the John A. and Maria L. Douglas Foundation, supporting investigative journalism on public radio stations across America, and from listeners like you. Mermaids of Murrow's Cove is a serial podcast. Please be sure to listen to the episodes in order. This is Episode 4, Too Many Coincidences. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast in iTunes. There is no murder. There is no conspiracy. We found Alice Crocker's next of kin. There is no way out, Emma. Your adventure ends here. I saw what I saw. I am their final loose end. Hello? Emma, how are you doing? I'm fine. How can I help you, Doctor? You are recording, right? Yep, all conversations. Do you mind? I don't, but I don't think you're going to put this on your show anyways. Why do you say that? Emma, I'm concerned about you. I've known you since you were a child. You always had uh, challenges with your hyperactive imagination. Your mother was very concerned with the stories you used to make up. At the time, I told her it was normal, but now... What are you trying to say, Doctor? You're making many people uncomfortable, especially your parents. This whole murder conspiracy you pretend to investigate, and the nonsense about mermaids. Really, Emma, mermaids. Have you heard your own show? This is not about mermaids, Doctor, but the killer may think it is. I'm investigating a murder. A woman was murdered in your clinic. I'm surprised you don't seem more bothered by that fact. She was not murdered, Emma. The poor girl took her own life. There is no murder. There is no conspiracy. You heard the chief. Well, Nurse Russo thinks differently. Who's Nurse Russo, Emma? Don't play that game with me, Doctor. I'm messing with you. You even lost your sense of humor. I don't think any of this is funny. A woman was killed. The entire town is acting like it's no big deal. Nurse Russo, who worked with you for years, thinks you did it. She does. I see. I would like you to come to my office for an evaluation. I think stress is affecting you in ways you may not realize. It's a common thing, Emma. I'm not coming to your office, Doctor. I just want to make sure you're not overworked, overstressed, or depressed. Depression is a common thing in your generation. You are also fragile. These things could be clouding your judgment. I could recommend a nice facility where you could spend some time reconnecting with yourself and reality. Are you threatening to put me away? That is such a silly thing to say. Your parents are concerned. I spoke to them. I told them you are showing clear signs of exhaustion and bipolar depression. They are ready to request a court order if you seem to be acting against your own well-being. It is for your own good, Emma. My parents would never do that. Parents do what's best for their kids. Don't underestimate what parents would do if they think their kids are suffering. Especially if a trusted doctor makes a recommendation. You don't scare me, Doctor. Your threats won't stop my investigation. There we go again with the paranoia. I'm not trying to scare you, Emma. I'm trying to do what's best for you. I'm Emma Kersey for Massachusetts Public Radio. I'm not crazy, and you're listening to Mermaids of Murrow's Cove. (laughs) 
Alice Crocker looks happy in the picture I'm holding. She's wearing scrubs with teddy bears and white Crocs. She's holding a notepad in one hand and a stethoscope in the other. The picture is a candid, that's for sure. Someone probably yelled her name and when she turned around, she found a goofy coworker pointing a phone at her. The smiling Alice in front of me has little resemblance to the girl I met in the hospital. Her hair is light brown and wavy, her body in shape. If I had to guess, I'd say she was a swimmer. There are other pictures of Alice in the folder Nurse Russo sent me, pictures of tropical vacations. Alice is holding a drink surrounded by white sand and palm trees. There are pictures from her college graduation and from nursing school. The pictures are scanned copies of actual printed pictures, and that's unusual. Another odd thing is she's alone in all of these pictures. Every single photograph depicts a happy but lonely Alice. I look at her face and I can't help but feel a connection. I would have been your friend, Alice. I know who you are. I can see it in your eyes. You weren't suicidal and you weren't ill. Something terrible happened to you and I promise you I will find out who did it. I know I said I would be open to the idea of suicide, but looking at these pictures, it angers me. I know she didn't kill herself. I can't prove it yet, but I know it. It is definitely weird that she has no pictures with friends, but that is why she was chosen. Girls nobody will miss, remember? Someone misses Alice. We just need to find them. Her file shows differently says she grew up in a foster care, but we have not found any social media presence, which is extremely odd. She's alone in all her pictures. I'm not saying now that nobody misses her. I'm just saying she definitely fits the description of a girl few would miss. You were saying she was sacrificed by a group of mermaid worshippers. Don't look so skeptical, Emma. What's the difference between worshipping a fictitious mermaid and uh, worshipping aliens like the uh, Scientologists do? I could be convinced she was a victim of some kind of cult. We're far from connecting that with the diary, though. It's a hell of a coincidence, though. I know. What if the diary was not written 200 years ago? What if the diary is a work of fiction, taken as gospel by a group of wackos? I mean... Why would someone scan and upload an old and potentially valuable antique document? You know, I thought about that too. Someone wanted the story to be told. You know, maybe a former member wanted to bring the cult down. Thanks for picking up. I'm not mad at you, Mark. I get it. You're doing your job. You're sticking up for your dad. I would probably do the same thing. Can we meet? I want to share something with you. Related to the case? Yes and no. What do you mean? I have something to share about the case, and I want to have a non-related conversation too. I will tell you about my 
date with Mark. I am making air quotes as I say that. But first, I want to share with you something John found while looking through the archives of the local library. It's a short story written by a boy named Oliver Ananda in 1964. Yes, a young Dr. Ananda. Seven-year-old Oliver won a short story contest organized by the library. He had a very active imagination. Our official storyteller, Nick Johnson's son, Eli, reads the story for us. Oliver was swimming when he saw her for the first time. She had long hair, dark skin, and big hazel eyes. She was older, the age of his mom, maybe. There was something different about her, though. She didn't look like the other adults in the town. She looked like the fairies in bedtime stories his mom read him every night. Oliver waved at her. He had been told not to talk to strangers, but she was so pretty, he couldn't help himself. She waved back, and then swam in his direction. My name is Nadia. What is your name? She asked. I am Oliver, he answered, and felt blood rushing to his cheeks. They swam together for what seemed to be hours. They played, throwing water at each other's faces, and laughed. She was very nice, and Oliver thought he wanted to be her friend. I have to go. Do you want to come into town with me? You can come to dinner. My mom won't mind, Oliver said. I can't walk on land, Oliver. I don't have any legs, she answered. She was a mermaid. Oliver was not surprised. His dad told him about the mermaids of Marrow's Cove. He knew one day he met one. His dad had said mermaids were their protector. They kept the town happy and prosperous. Oliver came back the next day and the day after. Nadia was always there waiting for him. After a week of swimming together, Nadia told Oliver she had to go. Oliver was very sad. I will see you soon, the next time the entire town comes to the beach, she said. You promise? Oliver asked. I promise, Nadia the mermaid answered. Oliver counted the days. The gathering wouldn't happen until the winter, right after Christmas. There were so many months to wait. When the day finally came, Oliver was excited. He got up early in the morning, drank his milk, and waited for his dad to lead the way to the beach, as he did every year. The gathering was a day of celebration. The entire town would come together to celebrate the blessings. Kind woman from out of town would walk into the ocean and swim until you could not see her anymore. Then they would eat roasted pork and pie. When they arrived at the beach, he looked for Nadia, but she was not there. Oliver was very sad for a very long time. He was so sad he started hating Nadia for breaking her promise. Then one day, while collecting shells on the beach, Oliver saw Nadia standing right in front of him. I earned my legs, she said with a smile on her face. Oliver was so happy to see her, he forgot she had made him sad. Nadia promised that they would be friends forever, and this time, she kept her word. Jill Alexander S. Baum wrote in her book, Hausfrau, there are no accidents. Everything correlates, everything connects, every detail bears a consequence. One instant begets the next, and the next, and the next. Her words appeared in my mind when I read Oliver Ananda's story. This investigation is getting to me. Too many names repeated throughout history. Too many people denying the truth. I need a solid lead. A clue that's not connected to any creatures with scales. I also need a comforting voice. Hi, Mom. Emma, sweetie, how are you doing? 
Okay. Is it true you're ready to send me to the loony bin? <laughs> Where do you get those things, sweetheart? Of course not. Dr. Ananda told me that much. The doctor's worried about you. He left some brochures for rehab places for workaholics like you. I was going to give them to you at Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm still invited? Emma Elizabeth Kersey. Stop being such a drama queen. Yes, you and I had an altercation, and I may have used language I regret. Families have disagreements, but we're still family, and we still act like a decent family. You're coming to Thanksgiving, and your weird friend... John? Yes, he's coming too. I'm not crazy, Mom. There are frightening things happening in this town. Emma, I've lived in this town my whole life. The most frightening thing I've ever seen is your dad during the Macarena. <laughs> that was terrifying. Stop chasing monsters, Emma. One day, you may find one. What is that supposed to mean? It means I love you, and I don't want you to get into any trouble. I love you, Emma. But I need to let you go. Wheel of Fortune is about to start. I met Mark at a restaurant called Marco's, 15 miles away from Moreau's Cove. Even though our meeting would be public once this episode airs, it was best if we didn't run into anybody in the middle of our conversation. Mark was waiting for me outside the place. He was wearing a pair of khakis and a blue dress shirt. He looked tall, handsome, and familiar. It was hard to stay mad at a man who ditched his Red Sox t-shirt and put on a dress shirt just for you. I didn't dress up. I was wearing jeans and a white top with yellow and red embroidery. It was a nice top. Nothing fancy, though. I know you're not interested in hearing about my date with Mark, even though technically it was not a date. My conversation with Mark is an important part of what convinced John and me to break into an abandoned shack in the middle of the woods. You wield that recorder like a sword, Emma. It's the only weapon I carry. You look lovely. So do you, Officer Delaney. Marco's is an Italian restaurant fully committed to the Italian identity. The walls are covered in black and white pictures of the most iconic Italian cities and monuments. There are several Italian flags spread across the walls and an almost wall-sized picture of Sophia Loren. Mark told me their shrimp Florentine was to die for. I want to propose something. Sure. We talk about the case for 10 minutes. I share with you an important new development. And then we turn the recorder off and have a nice dinner. I will not turn the recorder off, Mark. We grew up together, Emma. I am not your enemy. We'll talk business, and then we allow ourselves to have fun. We'll talk about the time I broke my arm jumping from a tree <laughs> to impress you. Mark, you were six. You were not trying to impress me. You were a dumb kid trying to prove to other boys that you were tough. Ouch. I will stick to my story anyway. I was trying to impress you. And I was trying to impress you too when I jumped from the top of Widow's Cliff. I want to talk about that first time I kissed you when we were eight and the fact that you puked right after. Okay, okay. Stop the stop me speech. You win. Case, then memory lane. Stop smiling. You won't win that easily again anytime soon. So, tell me about this new development. We found Alice Crocker's next of kin. What? A, a close relative? Her uncle. Is he local? Sort of. His name is Charles Smith. He lives in a cabin close to Murrow's Cove and off the grid kind of situation. He confirmed that Alice suffered from schizophrenia. 
He's been caring for her for over a year. And he didn't think to call the police when she went missing? Alice had a history of running away. He said she always came back, so he didn't worry when she disappeared. And his name is Charles? Charles Smith. Reverend Charles Smith, actually. This is good news. Why do you look so worried? What does he look like? I don't know. He spoke to my dad. The chief did all the due diligence, though. His story checks out. He is, or was, Alice's guardian. He's taking her body in a couple of days. We're just making the arrangements now. The family wants a quick burial. How did he find out? He came to town and saw the story in the examiner. I can't believe this. Don't you think it's a little bit too convenient? The story ends here, Emma. Alice was a sick young woman. She ran away. She fell into the ocean. And later, she took her own life. There is no mystery. There is no conspiracy. (laughs) You're quite easy to convince for a cop. Why would Alice's uncle lie? Now, let's move to the fun part of this date. Uh, One more question. Shoot. Has anyone besides your dad looked into the details of the case? Verify Alice's identity or her place of residence? Proof that this Charles Smith is in fact her uncle? Emma. Please, just yes or no? No. My dad has taken the lead in the investigation. It's an important case. A potential murder. It is not odd that the chief of police took a personal interest and decided to lead the investigation. Yeah, I can see that. I kept my promise. I turned off the recorder and talked to Mark for over an hour about our childhood, our old friends, and the joys and miseries of growing up in a town where everybody knows one another. It would have been a great time, but the image of Merlord picking up Alice's body was too disturbing to ignore. I know I was distracted, and I know Mark noticed. He was a gentleman and didn't call me out. You're not imagining things, Emma. I bet my right hand now that Charles Smith is Merlord. Now, is he really related to Alice? I doubt it. He's just disposing of the body, getting rid of evidence. Chief Delaney told Mark his story checks out. I know. You're doing that thing when you stop mid-sentences and then frown. I think we should check out his story on our own. Do you want to interview him? I want to visit his cabin in the woods. Jesus, are you serious? Positive. We'll go tonight. We need to prove he's not related to Alice before her body's gone. Hello? Did you look through the files? Some of them. I started with Alice's. There's a lot to go through, though. Were these files on Dr. Ananda's laptop? No, not on his hard drive, but you can't access them from there. So, you're the one who broke into the clinic? Who did it is not important. The information in those files should give you enough to connect the doctor to the murder. You heard it was ruled a suicide. I did. That doesn't change anything. I saw what I saw. I am their final loose end. The only way for me to be safe again is for the truth to come out. Why don't you just tell me what's going on here? These cryptic conversations, they're really not useful. If you told me the whole story, I'd know where to start. It doesn't work that way, Emma. I feel like I've already trusted you more than I should. Proving Ananda did it benefits the both of us. 
Let's concentrate on that, all right? Then at least answer some of my questions. I'll try. Do you know who Charles Smith is? <sighs> Stay away from him, Emma. Who is he? Stay away from him. Concentrate on proving Ananda is guilty. You have enough to go on. There is no need to look into that guy. He is dangerous. That is all you need to know. He is dangerous and he is protected. By the chief? By many. Stop talking in riddles. You're not helping me. I think I was very clear. Stay away from him. He is dangerous. That is not a riddle. He is claiming Alice's body. Without that body, we can't prove foul play. Then we are damned. The only way to prevent Charles Smith from taking the body was proving he was not Alice's uncle. We needed to visit the cabin where he said he and Alice lived together. The same cabin where Nadia claimed there was information we needed. Neither John nor I were crazy about the idea. Nurse Russo's fear was real. She meant it when she told us to stay away. She believes he's dangerous. I believe it too. I'm starting the recorder now. I'll keep it running. Everything we see, everything we hear could help us prove our case. You ready for a hike? No bars. What? We have no cell signal, Emma. We're on a mountain in the middle of the woods. I was not expecting to use my cell phone. No cell phone? So Jesus, that's never a good thing. Let's go, John. Let's stop making excuses. Jesus, that's the smallest flashlight anybody's ever taken into a forest at night. We want to be as stealthy as we can, John. We can barely see where we're going. Are you afraid? Is that what's behind your crankiness? Have you ever watched a horror movie, Emma? Any? <laughs> One or two. I think I know where you're going. Well, let's talk this out loud. There's a potential murderer who we have been told is super dangerous. He has a creepy house way into the woods. You and I decide the best time to break into that house is in the middle of the night. Now, come here. Tell me how this movie ends, Emma. It sounds bad, but... Nadia told us he doesn't live there. He just stores his stuff there. I'm not worried. He didn't live there with Alice. That part, that's a lie. He won't be there. Yes, I hope you're right. Can I state the obvious? Better than anybody else I know, my friend. <laughs> Funny, huh? Marillard, Reverend Charles Smith, and 200 years ago diary Reverend Smith are the same dude, right? You are not serious. Smith is the most common American last name. There have been, I guess, hundreds of thousands of Reverend Smiths throughout our entire history. Yeah, yeah, but how many of them are connected to this area? How many of them are connected to mermaid stories? I don't know. You're assuming that Charles's last name is actually Smith. What if he chose that last name to play the part of a concerned uncle? Oh, yeah, and you're saying the man is over 200 years old but looks like he's 50? Didn't you now say it to stay open-minded? To plausible theories, not to immortal reverence who worship mermaids. Too many coincidences. That's all I'm saying. I see the house. I'll turn off the flashlight. Jesus, that actually illuminated a lot more than I thought. I, you, but I can't see a thing. Don't worry, your eyes will get used to the darkness soon.
We were standing in front of a wooden shack that was so old and weathered, I couldn't help but feel it would collapse around us. Nobody had lived there for a long time. There was no way that Charles and Alice had spent a year in that decrepit cabin. The place was dark and silent. We stood at the edge of the clearing for almost 15 minutes, listening for any signs of movement. It was just the wind and us. The wind dragging leaves and whispering names we couldn't fully understand. I had a knot in my stomach, but I kept my feelings to myself. John's concerns were valid. If Charles was a dangerous man, and if he was waiting for us, we could end up just like Alice Crocker. I want to go on the record saying this is a terrible idea. There's nobody here but us. Let's just go in. Turn on the flashlight, will you? This is crazy. There must be hundreds of boxes here. <gasps> Jesus, and shitloads of paper. Serious hoarder, our friend Charles. <laughs> That's what I'd call two centuries of hoarding, Emma. Let's say at least 30. Insane. This is truly insane. Come here, where do we even start? Going through all of these shirts would take weeks. Do you see any labels on these boxes? Anything that would give us a hint where to start? Mm, no. No names, no labels, nothing. Then let's hope for luck. Pick a box and start digging. We spent at least an hour digging through boxes without finding anything useful. John was worried the battery in his cell phone was wearing out by using it as a flashlight. What's that? What? Peeking out of the box next to the one you're looking at. No, 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 to your right! A frame? Come here, look at this. It's a small framed painting. (gasps) Score! There's so many. Look for the one with the naked chick. They're so realistic, too. So beautiful. And all by the same artist. How do you know that? Yeah, come on. The style, the technique, it's the same in all of them. Dark blues and off-whites, poor lighting. Look at that. Those dots. I bet every single one of them has them. What do you think they represent? Eyes. Their eyes looking at the ocean. Creepy. Let's find the one that Nadia wanted. If it's anywhere, it has to be here. What was in the box you were looking at before? I don't know. They look like Christmas decorations. So, winter. What are you getting at? Mm, There's an order. What? The boxes. I've been noticing as I move from one to the next, they're not labeled because they're organized. Hmm. By time period, no, by... What are you holding? That's a doll. A very old doll. Just baby stuff. This box is full of bottles, blankets, life events. They're all organized by life events. Chronologically, then. So where does it start? Not necessarily. Two life events may have happened in the same day, but they get different boxes. Sure, a baby is born in the morning and a relative dies in the same night. That'd be two different boxes for the same day. How do you get that? The paintings. They're all about Mary Wilkins. The first gift. Look. The beach. The eyes. The crowd walking toward the beach. Someone painted all these when Mary was sacrificed. 
Now that happened in the fall of 1812. The next box is Christmas. Nadia's painting is not here. No, because the naked dancing happened before the gift. Didn't it happen the previous winter? So if your theory is true, where do we look? I'm at the beginning. The Irishman's daughter is born. Move that way. Go on towards the left. Yeah, check that box. No, 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 the third one on top. Yeah, yeah, that one. Maps. Maps of the area around Murrow's Cove. They use them to follow the Irishman. Come here, move closer to me. Two columns closer. You sound very convinced. I know, I'm right. Sure, I can feel it. The fact that I'm following your instruction doesn't mean I believe Charles Smith is Reverend Smith himself. The second one in that pile. Mm, Try that one. Paintings. Paintings of a woman with greenish blonde hair and long arms and legs. That's her? There's so many. Whoever the artist was, he was obsessed with her. These paintings, they could be in a museum. Who do you think painted them? A man in love. (laughs) You're such a romantic, John. I am. (laughs) Sure isn't that no way all the ladies like me. What was that? Someone's outside. Someone's coming. Would you turn off the light? Do you have the painting? Yes. To the back. There, There has to be a back door. Oh, shit. Keep going, keep going. All the way to the back. There's no back door. Jesus, we're trapped. Get behind those boxes. I know you are here, Emma. You are a very stubborn woman. I've met lots of women like you before. Women who think they can change the laws of God. Women who think they can speak louder than men. Women who get what they deserve at the end. Women like you always do. You always get what you deserve because that is the will of our Lord. I know you are not here alone, Emma. I'm not alone either. I brought friends. Good friends. Friends who will do what is needed and then forget like their parents and grandparents have done for generations. There is no way out, Emma. Your adventure ends here. When I say run, run. That's your plan? Do you have a better one? Don't be stupid. Come out from wherever you're hiding. There are not many places to hide here. I will find you. We both know that. There are two of us. What if we kick the shit out of him? What if he has a gun? He says there are others. He's bluffing. Emma, I have to be honest. I admire your dedication. Stubborn, careless, stupid, but dedicated. Run! You won't get very far. There is no escaping now. He's right behind us. I can't see the flashlight. Did you see the others? No. That old man can't be running that fast. She's getting closer. Someone else is chasing us, Emma. Keep running, keep running. Jesus, we need to make it to the car. I'm not sure we're even running in the right direction. We are, we are. Would you just follow me? I cannot keep this up much longer. Don't give up now. We're almost there. I see the road. I see the road. Uh, Jesus, the car's gone. What? I don't see the car. It was right next to the entrance to the trail. 
Come here, it's gone. We got in the wrong trail? No, we didn't. They sh- Jesus, they took the car. How did they know we were coming? Because they made us come. They set us up. We fell for it. Jesus, this is not going to end well, Emma. My name is Emma Kersey. If you find this recorder, contact the Boston police. My producer, John Murphy, and I are being chased by a dangerous, dangerous man. His name is Charles Smith. Do not trust Murrow's Cove police. Do not trust them. Don't trust anyone in Murrow's Cove at all. Fuck! Mermaids of Murrow's Cove is hosted by Emma Kersey and produced by John Murphy at Massachusetts Public Radio. On the next episode of Mermaids of Murrow's Cove. No jury's gonna convict me for shooting you on my property. Men who think they are special. Men with a calling. They're the most dangerous of all. My name is Rebecca Greenberg. I am Alice Crocker's ex-girlfriend. Get comfortable, Emma Kersey. This story is long. Don't miss the next episode. Like what you're hearing? Please rate and review us in iTunes. And tell your friends about Mermaids of Murrow's Cove.